Hey, welcome to Communication Keys. I'm your host, Comso Lume Chili. Uh, today, I'm here with Professor Mark Zajac. How are you doing, Professor? I'm doing great. Thanks, Comso. Okay, yeah. So, um, just to go over what you've done, what, what did you study in um, school? Yeah, in my undergrad, I studied psychology. It took me a little while to, to get there. I okay. came in with like a bunch of different interests. Um, so, I, you know... I was interested in business, but my uh, liberal arts college didn't offer a business major. Okay. So I took some like economics. I took some computer science. Figured out I didn't want to be a programmer. Uh, took some math, um, and then I even took like philosophy and English classes, right. and was you know kind of trying to find a major. And then uh, in the the end of my sophomore year, I took an intro to psychology class, mm-hmm. and that was kind of when everything kind of came together and I I just got really interested in explaining why people do what they do. Okay, so that's why like you like basically seeing kind of like like why people act the way they do like and explain like why. Like yeah, so so I I thought I wanted to work in business, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. It was just kind of what people do, right? They, they work in the corporate world. Okay. Um, but then once I had a little bit of a background in psychology, I, I was really interested in, well, what are the things that happen in the work world that mm-hmm. influence people to either, you know, perform really well or okay. get really burnt out? And so I was taking some of those ideas from psychology uh, what I would say it was like normal psychology as opposed mm-hmm. to studying the abnormal psychology to studying what how people think about certain situations and how they act and applying that to the okay. work world yeah, yeah so I could see that's like a it's almost like a direct application you know what like what you learn and then seeing it actually happen in the real world and yeah yeah I guess it, yeah it's, you can definitely see like make that connection when you see the things that people do and then it becomes like almost common or it becomes like the same thing has become like common to you or prevalent yeah okay. yeah so i mean thinking about like how people even how people interact in a school situation in class or something mm. um, trying to explain okay when are when are people consistent and then what makes people different people learn in different ways or act differently in a, in a classroom setting okay yeah so what schools did you I went to Colgate University mm-hmm. as an undergrad, um, and then right after I finished uh, my my schooling, I graduated and got and started working right away. I didn't I didn't think I would go back to grad school necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, so I I worked um, in uh, for a German chemical company right out of college. Uh, really? What'd you do there? I I did logistics which essentially was um tracking the process when they move like say raw materials Mm. to their manufacturing plants and then shipping their manufacturing uh what what the products were to the customers um so not the most exciting job in the world Mm. but it it helped me learn you know everything that goes into operating huge corporations i was actually just going to ask you like so from what you learned in uh, undergrad, like psychology, did you see a lot of that, like from what you learned in the workplace? It was only like my first entry level job. I didn't really learn a lot. It was much more um, 
I, I saw differences in how people, you know, thought about their jobs, but mm. it wasn't part of my job to assess that. Okay. And then I started getting into, um, the company was doing these huge software implementations. Mm. So as they were putting in new software, I had to go across all these different sites and I jumped on, I had a chance to learn this new software and jumped onto a project team that traveled around the country oh, okay. helping, helping them implement this software. Okay, so like what type of software like, it, was it? Yeah, it was, um, it was essentially when they are uh, tracking their business operations. Oh, okay. So everything from sales to customers to, you know, ordering these raw materials and mm. tracking the manufacturing process of of the chemicals. Okay. So did like any of that, did those experiences like inspire you? Like when you did go to graduate school, like what did you study? Yeah, so then I went to graduate school and I went into a, an organizational psychology program. Okay. And I studied, um, a lot of what I studied were um, the effects of people's work on their health and productivity. Uh, so what I saw in the, what I used from my experience at that, um, in that job was seeing how people reacted to change at work. Okay. So some people were like, I've never used a computer before. Now I have to use this new software. Am I going to lose my job as a result? And they were really stressed out and worried about that. So I wanted to study a little bit more about if a company is doing a, a huge making a huge change, how can we help employees deal with that change? Okay, so like what, so from what you did learn like in your studies, um, what like, like what is a way that companies can help with change? One of the keys seems to be when employees feel more involved in the change, mm -hmm. they react so much better. Okay, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so we were, when my, my initial projects, I was kind of, I was showing up and blindsiding employees that, hey, your job is changing, and they had never met me before. And I'm a, you know, 23-year-old straight out of college. Yeah, so I'm like, sure the reaction wouldn't be all that welcoming <laughs> right. at first. Right, so if I, if I worked with them for a while, then, you know, they'd get an understanding. We'd bring in their local management to, to try and smooth over the process, but that was a huge learning curve for me as well as for them to, to figure out like, okay, how do we, how do we ensure that employees aren't going to freak out? Yeah. You know? In a way that kind of sounds like democracy. Like you want to like people rather have their own input being involved in the changes and it's like, it's better received that way yeah. for sure. Um, how was that whole process like going through school? Like, and what was like some tough times for you and how did you get through it? And then like the react, like your final, um, like the relief of getting your degree and all that, like talk to me about that. Yeah, so I mean, because I had, a lot of people go right out of undergrad to graduate school and it, you can, you can get burnt out from that, mm -hmm. from that process as well. Mine was a little bit unique because I took quite a few years off in the work world. Um, but I, I had a good transition back into graduate school because I was, I was working for a, a software company in California and um, I had been doing a lot of work on the road, so traveling around and I finally had a job where I, I could stay put and I 
selected a graduate school program and said, can I take one class while I'm working? And they said, sure, you know, come on in. You seem to have enough experience that you would be able to succeed. So in that process, that's when I took my first graduate class in organizational psychology. It was a course on stress in the workplace. So it was a great experience for me to like figure out, okay, what, what is graduate school like? And to be able to realize that, oh, I can use a lot of my work experience and knowledge in this graduate program. Mm -hmm. So then I was lucky enough while I was working to have um, my company um, pay for half of that master's program. So I got, I got into a two year master's program, applied to it, and they paid half the tuition for me to give this training. Um, and, and so that was, that was a little bit daunting to do a full-time job and go to graduate school at the same time. But I liked, by that time I had been out of school long enough that I, I, it was nice to get back to learning. And, um, so I, I liked the program enough that I, in the process, I kind of decided that I might want to teach. I might want to be a college professor Mm -hmm. and that means you have to go to a PhD program. So I applied to a PhD program. I got into Clemson University. Okay. Uh, so that was when I stopped working full time, moved to South Carolina, and completed that five year program. Uh, so that was a little bit of a transition to say, like, hey, no more income for a little while. Let me yeah. let me go get my PhD. Yeah, I'm sure it probably took you a lot of time to decide to do that. Did it? Yeah. Um, so the I was kind of doing work full-time and school full-time for two mm. years. And ironically, I, I got kind of a, a fun little shove toward grad school because the software company I was working for was getting taken over by another software company and it was mm. like a hostile takeover. Really? So while I was studying like stress in the workplace. There was a lot of stress going on over there too. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was hilarious. So, really? so I kind of raised my hand and said like, oh, you can, I'll take the uh, the severance package. You can you can eliminate my job in this merger, and because I'm going to go to grad school anyway. Uh, so about your PhD, what did you study there? Yeah, so I studied um, at Clemson. Yeah, I studied organizational psychology, and it was a specialization in occupational health psychology. Okay. Um, which essentially, I I studied a lot of um, stress, and I studied. Um, really related to the corporate world, I studied um, when employees are suffering for what's described as economic stress. Um, what's that? So essentially, um, you know, how much stress do they have in their lives in providing a viable income for their family? Okay. Uh, you know, enough money to make ends meet. And so looking at not only their individual lives, but then what does the what do the broader economic metrics have to do with that? So like unemployment rate, how that might affect people's perceptions of like, can I get another job? How much stress am I am I under in my current job? So looking at kind of the big picture. Okay. So transitioning to being a business analyst, um, mm-hmm. where did that was that from the software? Or was that from after your I mean from the software company or was that after like Yeah, that PhD? was that was part of what I did for the software. Oh, okay. So yeah, so I would go to out to 
customers who bought software. Mm. It was really similar to that first job where I was helping people implement software. Mm. I was just working for the software company and looking at their business and mapping how the how they did business in their old system and mapping how they would use the new system to, you know, uh, do things in a new way. Okay. So was like the new system comparing it to the old system was it like like compare like the efficiency like the efficacy of the new system like how was it compared to the old one? Yeah, so the the sales pitch mm-hmm. was often this software is going to make your life easier, but in the short term, a lot of the time the cost of implementing the software mm-hmm. would would slow companies' operations down a little bit, changing all their processes over. Mm-hmm. Um, so and the learning period was also the same thing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of necessity to train their new employees on the software. And this was, you know, 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. So the software wasn't quite as easy to use as it would be now. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was there was a lot of training that was necessary. So um, that was another reason why, you know, part of me was like ready to get out of the corporate world because I'm going in and helping these companies. And sometimes it didn't help them in the short term as much as the, the salesperson would, would tell them. Really? Um, yeah, that kind of reminds me of, like, um, computers, like, Pac, I mean, I said Pacs, Macs and PCs, like, mm-hmm. I've been, I've been like, somebody, I never had a Mac before, and I just never won one, just because I know, like, I feel like taking the time to learn how to use a Mac and all that is just, like, I don't even want to do that. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of, like, the same thing. You don't, you kind of, I guess people want to resist change. Yeah. Because, like, just the time to learn something new. Yep. It's yeah, probably. it's just the natural tendency to yeah. like. Well, I know how to do it on right now. Why would I? Why would I change? Exactly. Yeah. So, Moneyball, you're uh, like, like, did you like study that or like? Or so, that? I kind of did that independently as I was okay. going through graduate school. I needed to learn a lot of statistics and how to analyze data, mm-hmm. and I had always been like a big sports fan. I played sports in high school, but, you know, wasn't good enough an athlete to continue my career in college. Okay. Um, but I'd always, and so one example was I'd always followed the NCAA basketball tournament, March okay. Madness, and tried to predict, you know, who's going to win. Mm-hmm. And so even before I had any statistical training, I would look at different team stats and see, like, oh, the teams that, you know, shoot, shoot a higher percentage or shoot more threes tend to win more in the tournament. So then once I was in grad school and I had to learn all these complex statistics, I was like, ooh, I can use this for sports. And there was a kind of a growing movement of more people using statistics Mm. to predict sports outcomes. Yeah, uh, the analytics is definitely a big thing in pretty much all sports. Some sports more than others, like I guess baseball and basketball is probably bigger than football and soccer. Mm-hmm. And um, but I definitely see the change. Definitely, even just over compared to like the early twenty tens. Like, even you look at basketball. Like, how many three point shots they take now compared to this, a whole different sport almost. Yeah. And it's kind of and baseball. I mean, I don't watch baseball as much, but I definitely like know like even things like batting averages. They don't even really like people don't even care about those anymore. Right. Right. So there's definitely a change. Um, yeah, so was the movie? What are you gonna say? I was gonna say, you play soccer, right? Yeah, I do. Like, have you have you seen any? It's harder. It's harder to use analytics. In yeah, soccer. analytics. That's one sport. It's really, 
it's like what statistics can you even like look at? I think one that's coming becoming more popular is I don't know if you heard about it, but expected goals and expected assists. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like they're looking at the position the players are in and seeing okay how often is a goal scored from that position and comparing it to their actual goal scored and stuff like that. Yeah. But soccer is definitely it's not as much analytics. I, I mean, but there might be. I feel like on the inside, like the people that actually like work with the clubs mm-hmm. and how they sign players and recruit players. I that there might be some. It just hasn't been exposed to the public as much. Yeah. So, yeah. It's definitely interesting to see, like, how people... Like, looking at the NFL, because I'm big on the NFL, there's, like, some teams that use more analytics than others, and it's like they're trying to compare success to the ones that don't use it as much. So it's definitely it's definitely um, interesting to see, like, which ones succeed more and how important it is. Um, so, yeah. Did you like, so you watched the Moneyball movie, was that your inspiration or was it just more like you just love stats and stuff? I was, I was doing a little bit myself and then like even before the Moneyball movie came out, the, the book came out Okay. and a, a friend of mine had recommended the book mm. and so I read the book and I was like, oh wow, this is the, you know, this is exactly what I'm doing. I was in graduate school when I, I just started when the, when the book first came out mm. um, and so I, I was more, I was less of a baseball fan, but I knew there was kind of this statistical movement, and I was thinking much more about uh, football and basketball, and so I started, I really started doing uh, more in football and basketball during graduate school, and I, I did an internship at one point um, with a company that was affiliated with ESPN doing some some analysis for the NFL. Okay. So it was kind of cool to to kind of dip my toe into that arena and I did have a little bit of a decision to make in graduate school I was like do I want to like go 100% into the sports analytics world mm-hmm. do I want to go 100% into trying to be a professor and I you know to a certain extent I I went for the job stability I went for the like the uh-huh. stability of being a professor versus the, mm-hmm. a lot of the analytics people they they have a job for a year and then the general manager gets fired at their Okay. Yeah. So actually, this kind of reminds me of what you were talking about in class the other day um, about like when you had to do it over and over again and it became, you kind of had to drown out um, like the fatigue of doing it and also like the fact that um, that whole thing when like is a reward and then it kind of makes you not want to do it. So like dealing with that, did that affect you at all? Like even trying to drown it out, did that affect you at all? I think maybe it did. I think, like, mm-hmm. I... Because I know that's, like, a big psychology thing as well. Yeah. I had done it so long for free mm-hmm. that the thought of, like, the pressure of, like, okay, now you're getting paid for it, and you're, like, your team better win, right? Because yeah. you're doing it for one team. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of... I en- really enjoy doing it as, like, a, a side part of, of what I do. You know, yeah. just kind of a hobby. Yeah. Um, and it, you know it doesn't add any of that pressure. Uh, but it's it's interesting to, to think about that, you know, it, you know, I'm sure I would still enjoy it if I was if it was the primary part of my job, but it's a it's mm. kind of a different mindset. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. And I've seen cuz I've also considered stuff like that. I'm mm-hmm. just wondering cuz I I also love that same type of thing. I'm very into like statistics like 
I would look into like, for example, like college basketball. Like I'm almost every day. Like I'm sure you heard about like Kempom. I'm on, I'm on that site like almost every day, just yeah. seeing how like teams look on there compared to like the eye test and stuff. So it's like, um, what I gonna say? Like, um, and I've also seen also big on like PFF. Like I'm mm-hmm. sure you would have heard of them as well. Yeah. So I always like. I mean, I've considered. I mean, not fully considered, not like seriously, but just looking at it. And I've seen people's. I've seen some people that have worked for like PFF, and they're just like, it was so much work. It's like it's not even fun at that point. So it's just interesting to hear, like, yeah, me you, personally. Yeah, yeah. In order to get that much data, you have to do so much. Like it's so time consuming to get to the point where yeah. you're drawing the interesting conclusions. Yeah. Okay. So actually, like now comparing analytics to the eye test and now that you've been on the inside like mm-hmm. is there any resistance to the analytics yeah i think i think it can get taken too far mm-hmm. um, because a lot of the research on like the eye test and people's intuition mm-hmm. is that if you have years and years of developing expertise you might see something that we don't have numbers for yet and yeah. so finding the right way to combine the two people's like gut about like oh i think that person's going to be a good player eventually like even when you don't have the metrics to necessarily back it up it might it might be something that you know that that pays off later but it's it's figuring out it's taking the time to figure out like oh when people had that gut reaction did it were they right in tracking that over time uh, yeah. is, is something that people usually don't do. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some people uh, almost feel like offended, either maybe not even just scouts, but players themselves when they don't match up with the analytics or like a scouts or somebody that works in that, uh, in that front office. They may feel like they can see it better than the stats can. And it's definitely interesting to see like the the dissonance, like the mm-hmm. like the difference between those two sides of it. So actually like comparing that to like the business world, is there does that same type of thing happen? Like first of all, like do analytics and looking at people's production compared to people's intuition, like what's the yeah, comparison so, there? So there aren't a lot of studies that have been able to do this really well, but uh-huh. there was a a study at a software company recently where they needed to hire a bunch of coders mm-hmm. and they their traditional practice they said oh we're not getting enough female and african-american programmers but they just don't they don't come out as top candidates in our hiring process mm-hmm. so they decided to implement a completely blind hiring process where they didn't they didn't ask people about um, any of their background they didn't even know people's names they just had them do a sample of a work sample essentially like do some coding mm. and we're going to hire the people who who do the best job on this project and that eliminated a lot of the bias really? so they they even wanted to they were they were cognizant of like oh we want to we want to give everyone an equal opportunity we want to hire a diverse group but whatever it was about their process was eliminating a lot of candidates before they got mm. through the the whole process i'm actually not even surprised by that at all like that's because <laughs> i mean 
it's interesting that they did that and the the results came out that way because like that's honestly how I feel. I feel like no matter what, if you see that, then people are gonna have their own internal biases, even if they try not to. Like it's just gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. We these social biases surround us, yeah. and even people who are like, oh, I'm not gonna fall prey to stereotypes. Yeah. They're aware of the stereotype being present, so they're thinking about it no matter what, even if they're trying to react against it. Exactly that. And I'm sure that's a, like, uh, that's a problem all around the world in businesses. And um, I wonder if that's ever going to change. Like, maybe that's a good start. Like, maybe other people should start doing that and see the results from it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting just to think about. We don't know what the effect of, like, doing Zoom interviews is. Exactly. Um, but a lot of, in the past, like maybe phone interviews were better because people don't see, get distracted by what people look like face to face or something. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of there are a lot of problems in the that still need to be fixed in yeah. you know the the hiring process and the promotion process. Yeah, and I'm sure it's, it's, that's going to take a long time to change any of that because at the end of the day, the people in power are like those are the people that it's up to them to change it really because right. you can't change anything from the from the low side of it, anyway. Okay, so that's it for today, y'all. It was a good episode. It was nice to hear from you, Professor well, Professor Zajac. Um, it was good to learn about your experiences, and we had, I feel like we had a good discussion about uh, a lot of things in the organizational world. So, yeah, yeah. Good, to, good to talk to you, Council. All right, yeah, thank you. That's it.